0: Welcome to another episode of Talking Jack. So this episode is going to be hosted by me, Megan, and it's going to be all about the BBC, and it's a bit of a tie in, I suppose, to Claire's last two episodes on the British monarchy, because like the Crown, the BBC is something of a British institution linked closely with the country's domestic and international identity. So today we're discussing the origins and legacy of the BBC, the criticisms and controversies and exactly what the future holds for the Beeb. I should say that this could probably be a topic worthy of a whole podcast series in of itself, but I'll do my best to hit a point, to hit upon, sorry, all the main points and see how much ground we can cover. So if you're happy to, we'll just start. Yeah, let's go. Talking Jack, dissecting the everyday. So to start, I want to do something a little bit different, Claire. And I'm going to send you a link to the BBC's most recent campaign. You may have already seen it before, but I just want you to watch it again so that I can get your reaction. You need to watch all of it. To to celebrate 100 years of the BBC, the broadcaster has unveiled unveiled, uh, a new campaign called This Is Our BBC, and it aims to demonstrate how the BBC forms a central part of culture and society within the UK. Um, I'll add the link to the show notes if anyone wants to see it, Um, but... Claire for now I just want you to be able to watch it um like I said you probably already know what it is um and just come back to me afterwards and see how you feel after watching it so um you've you've watched it now Claire so uh first of all just because we mainly not include the whole um advert if you like I always feel weird calling it an advert because it's the BBC but um If you could just describe a little bit like what what it is and then just how you feel watching it. So it's basically an advert about the BBC, what the BBC is, why the BBC is important. And it's just a montage of different um, clips from shows, dramas across the BBC, getting across the message of why we need the BBC and what it means what it supposedly means to us um so when I sort of initially watch it I it comes across as really desperate to me <laughs> there's just this air of desperation in it that's like please let us keep the BBC we're still relevant like we still mean something to you don't forget about us and amongst all the streaming platforms and all your other options um, I think they do well in it, though, as well, to try and appeal to, to a lot of different people because you can tell with they've done it. They're trying to be quite diverse in age ranges, ethnic, ethnicities, um, different backgrounds and stuff with the range of shows and what they're trying to say in it. Um, it does give a good snapshot of the full range of the BBC, you know, radio, TV, film. Within that, I mean, like, different types of TV um but I just and and I think parts of it you know are quite stirring it could be quite emotional you know especially bit when they just because personally to me the bit where the use I assume it's like minor strikes they're talking about that but I l- I enjoy that bit because it, it was speaks to yeah it speaks to working class people um but I also think it can come across as quite cheap the way they do it um and it's it's just a big propaganda piece, isn't it, at the end of the day for the BBC. And I think it makes you feel, there's a bit in it where it just makes you feel super guilty for, you know, choosing to do away with the BBC. Because we all know that that's in the pipeline. Like, that's what we're discussing at the moment in Britain is do we keep the BBC or do we not keep the BBC to be funded or do we not? And I think that, with, I mean, it's as transparent as I don't know what, that that's what they want to say in that. They try to make it all emotional and stuff. And there's parts of it, like I say, which are. Um, but I think at the end of the day, all that is, is just, they may as well be down on their hands and knees going, come on, like, look what we give you. Be a bit grateful and give us some money to fund the BBC. Mm-hmm. So... From what you've said, I can kind of get the feeling that if you, kind of like the last the last episode i we're talking about the monarchy, just from the outset, would you say then that you are leaning more towards not having the BBC or privatising it or whatever it is that they want to do with it? Um, Like, you know, doing away with the licence fee and stuff? I don't know. Wholeheartedly, I don't. And I'm in a similar position to you. Like, I genuinely am in the dark about all of this. I don't know... What privatisation would do for the BBC, I don't know. How, like, I don't know the difference between being publicly funded and not. I don't know what that makes for to the BBC and how they programme and what they can programme and where they get their money from. I enjoy, but i also, I'm not sitting here like I don't enjoy the BBC. Like, I know the BBC has got issues, and I know it's basically a, a mouthpiece for the government basically in some shape or form um but I enjoy a lot of stuff on BBC I enjoy a lot of BBC drama and stuff and you know I just personally um I'm moving at the moment so I'm in in the throes of deciding whether to pay for a TV license or to not pay for a TV license and when it comes down to it I'll be I'd look at that as simply am I paying for the BBC or am I not paying for the BBC and you know I don't know if I would want to not pay for the BBC because I think I would miss it so I'm, I'm not too sure yeah I'm the same like I've moved a couple of times you know living on my own and um I never obviously thought about it when I was a child you just had the BBC on because obviously our parents paid the TV license or whatever and I, I've paid it I've, I, I've got it um it's just a comfort thing I think as well because like you grow up with it and I guess that's why it's colloquially was always known as auntie Beeb or whatever it was called because it it's 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 with you throughout your whole life sort of thing um and I, I think that's kind of also what they're showing in that clip and when I watched it I just kind of wrote down like three main words that came to my mind of like feelings, so I was starting pride but also skeptical so like by the end I was like "Mm, okay um and then it because it kind of goes from being like really humanist um, and light showcasing all the dramas and tv shows that the BBC has broadcasted throughout the years to then being pretty political making the case for keeping the BBC like you said um so yeah uh, I'm just going to go into maybe like a bit of the history of BBC if you're okay with that just now of course okay so you might know a lot of this already might not um So the BBC was Britain's first public service broadcaster. It started as the British Broadcasting Company, established in October 1922. And the company was a sort of amalgamation, I suppose, of the main radio manufacturers, exclusively broadcast by the post office by early 1923. The largest of these radio manufacturers was a company called Marconi, and this company was interested in creating a broadcast service which would effectively create a market for their patented radio technology. So after discussions with the government, the BBC was created and funded by a levy on the sales of radio sets, but it was also partly paid for by sponsored programmes from British newspapers. This was the first iteration of the annual license fee, and it was set at the cost of 10 shillings charged by the general post office to cover radio sets. But soon sales of radios dropped, mainly from the competition from amateurs and unlicensed rival radio sets being bought. And by 1926, the British Broadcasting Company was dissolved, and instead any assets were put into the creation of a nationalized broadcaster, which would become the BBC of today, or rather the British Broadcasting Corporation. The BBC would expand and continue to do so by developing different services, and the first major of these was the Empire Service, launched in 1932, now known as the BBC World Service. In the UK, listeners to the BBC had only one radio channel until 1945, but another would be added called Light Programme for entertainment, because predominantly the BBC was kind of like a news source. Um, By 1967, the BBC was rebranded, uh, and, oh yeah, sorry, uh, yeah, the BBC was around, um and it expanded its radio channels um, to include more than just one, like TV. Um, so it then went into having the same radio stations we've got now, which is the main ones, Radio 1, Radio 2, Radio 3 and Radio 4. Uh, the BBC did, however, broadcast live TV starting in 1936, but by 1939, this ended as a result of the Second World War. So live TV broadcasting resumed again in 1946, and the public were given two options for the licence fee. Either they could pay a fee for radio only, which would be £1 annually at that time, um, and or they could pay second option, which is a joint radio and TV licence, which would be £2 annually, again, Costs from that time, not from like today's money. Uh, in 1947, the number of recorded TV licenses was at 14,500, but by 1950, this increased to around 344,000. The radio license was scrapped in 1971, and this meant that only one license was needed, and this is what is now known as the TV license, but it also actually includes radio. And it costs £7 for black and white or £12, about £180 in today's rate, given rate of inflation, for colour. Around 16 million TV licenses were sold in 1971, whereas today's figures, as of March 2021, I think they're the most current ones that I could find anyway, stand at 24 million at a cost of 159 for colour and £53.50 for a black and white television. I find it so strange that they still have a black and white television option. Um... Yeah. Uh, The Queen's Coronation, as you hinted in the last episode, in 1953, drew in 20 million TV viewers, and this helped propel appetite for television. That made it a lot more popular. Um, In terms of its TV channels, the BBC only had one until 1964, um, when BBC Two was launched. In 1969, more channels were introduced and HG channels were added between 2005 and 2010. I think I remember when they came in. Um, the BBC is ultimately beholden to the British Parliament, but it is supposed to have almost complete independence in the way that it conducts its activities. The BBC had monopoly over television services in Britain until the Television Act of 1954 and was introduced and commercial channels were launched, the biggest rivals being ITV and Channel 4. Monopoly over the radio airwaves was also ended in the 1970s when the government allowed local commercial stations to be broadcast. Uh, the BBC is under Royal Charter, and a Royal Charter is turned by the Cambridge Dictionary as, in quotes, a document signed by the monarch of a country and gives an organisation particular rights. Today, Royal Charters are normally reserved for organisations that work in the public interest, "End in quotes. So under its charter, the BBC does not advertise or broadcast sponsored programs and it's also required to refrain from broadcasting its own opinions and to be impartial but this is something that's caused a lot of controversy but just quick before I delve into these controversies uh, do you want to add anything in there Claire is anything a surprise at all or just wonder if you have any comments Yes. Um, I mean, it's interesting to see the history of the BBC and how the the BBC has evolved um, over these times. Um, and I do find it really interesting. What was the year you said about the, like up until this certain year, they had a monopoly over TV? Can't recall it. Um, 1954 okay that was when the television act came in and they were allowed to have um commercial channels so before before that prior to 1954 the only thing on your tv was bbc so bbc bbc was the tv yeah it was bbc one yeah so it wouldn't even you wouldn't really even need to be like oh I'm watching the BBC it would just be I'm watching TV therefore I'm watching BBC mm-hmm. oh, yeah okay. and it's it that's what I found really interesting about the, like the very very beginnings of the BBC because obviously it was radio because television hadn't been invented yet mm-hmm. but um it was made sort of in collaboration with the corporations or the manufacturers or the companies yes. of radio sets to try and get them to buy radio sets yeah and I wonder if the same thing then happened with TV if you know what I mean. Yeah absolutely um, and I think um, like I'm sure as well with radio I could be wrong but I only really know of the BBC radio it's the only thing I've really looked into before not really the TV but before they made the you might go into this but before they made the radio channels that they have now which is like BBC Radio 1, BBC Radio 2, 3, 4 they had programmes before that which were like the light programme or something like that. Um, and... Yeah, I mentioned that that they changed yes. it so that they had the main one and then they had yes. World Service and then they had the light programme. Yes, yeah. Um, and I find it really interesting because uh, when they made uh, the Radio 1, um, that only came about because they wanted to... Uh, They were trying to capitalise on the demand of pirate radio stations. So the only reason they made BBC Radio 1 is because they were like, oh, other people are listening to really popular music on pirate radio stations, so let's make a radio station so they come to us instead. Um, And I just find it really interesting because it's a bit like, not disingenuous, but it's almost like they're still trying to be that one source for everything. Um, And I think, although they're like, oh, we have independence from the government, to to you know control like independent control over like what they create both radio and tv um i think you know knowing the origins of the bbc like people are always going to see them in that in that light you know how they originated and You know, all these other things, whether it be like different radio stations, pirate radio stations, different TV channels, whatever. They're just like in competition with the BBC and it's like, there's always going to be that rivalry. So it's like, if we didn't have them, then... We would all just be getting like one source of news from the BBC or one source of information or one source of like drama or music or whatever, and it doesn't maybe cater for other people's interests. So I think, as much as they've like evolved, like knowing that that's how they came about, then you can understand why people might still think of the BBC as just a a spokesperson for like. The government yeah that's that's criticism that comes off time and time again with bbc um that yeah they're just one is kind of what you hit on that um the bbc says that it's in the public interest but is it really actually just in the interest of its own profits and things like that um which i'll go into but also again I'll go into like the bias off uh sort of I don't know, like keeping on the good side of like whatever government's in power. Yeah, and just how you would mentioned it, I know that's kind of what I was getting at, and you've just summed it up quite well what I was getting at about radio. <laughs> um, is that they are just trying to like keep up with what's popular. So it's kind of like is this the sort of stuff that they want to say? Or are they just doing it because they're like, we always want to be the best? So it's like, are they even good at what they're doing, if that makes sense? Um, And also, just to go back to that the advert that you were talking about, it's like, maybe they're trying to cater for too many people. At the end of the day, obviously, the BBC is just a TV service. Is that what you would deem it as? I don't know. If you're talking about TV. Um, Broadcaster. Broadcaster, yeah, that's it. So they don't have to fit into, like, one niche thing. But I suppose maybe the BBC is just trying to cater for too much, maybe spreading itself a bit too thin. And especially in today's today's society, then, you know, it's like, are they just following what's not in, but, you know, like trends and stuff, yeah. And it's difficult as well because at the same time they're always towing that line of needing to be impartial so um, I'll explain that bit more next. Okay so I'm just going to go a bit more into the sort of controversies and the, the criticisms that people have of the BBC. Uh, this might be, might be talking for a little bit, sorry, jump in if you want to. Um, So In his book, The BBC, Myth of a Public Service from 2020, Tom Mills argues that the BBC is one of the most misunderstood institutions in Britain. For example, it is criticised in the national press for its left-wing bias, but in its journalism actually overwhelmingly reflects the ideas and interests of elite groups. Up until 2017, the BBC was overseen by a board of governors and then from 2007, BBC Trust. And Mills says that any senior executives were all political appointees that and that its major source of funding is routinely set by governments, which argues Mills will inevitably influence its reporting. David Edwards also writes in his book, Newspeak in the 21st century in 2009, that at the time of his writing, in 2009, uh, prior to the breakup of the BBC Trust, the trustees were all members of the elite, well-educated or even political class. For example, the chair was Sir Michael Lyons, who had held a number of positions in local government. The vice chair was Dr. Chitra Bakura, a former consultant, haematologist, and previous member of the Advertising Standards Agency Council. Uh, Senior manager was Anthony Fry, who has previously held a position in investment, investment banking. Edwards makes the point that the board had no representatives from the trade unions, green pressure groups, development charities, child poverty groups, or grassroots organisations. This then kind of feeds into the criticism of the BBC being biased towards the interests of the wealthy or the Conservatives. Uh, In May 2016, under the new Royal Charter, because that gets updated every so often, I don't know how often, um, the regulatory functions of the BBC trust would be transferred to Ofcom. Essentially, the BBC trust would be disbanded. Um, Criticism of the BBC increased when the Labour government left office in 2010 and the Conservative uh, Liberal Democrat Coalition government felt the model of the trust had failed and believed that the BBC should be externally regulated. An independent review by Sir David Clemente recommended that the BBC trust should be dissolved, citing that many, the many ways the BBC had failed to self-regulate itself. For example, the infamous mishandling of the Jimmy Savile sexual abuse scandal, which I'll go into a little bit more detail later. Clemente wrote that external regulation would give the BBC, in quotes, no hiding place. So Ofcom is the UK's communications regulator. And as I said, since 2017, it now regulates the BBC. Just out of interest, I had a quick look at the Ofcom Board of Governors uh, to see if there was any improvements in terms of like represented interest. Uh, Not really, because the chair is Lord Grade of Yarmouth. The deputy chair is Maggie Carver, who had executive director positions on a number of boards for public, private and not-for-profit companies. The chief executive is Dame Melanie Dawes, who was previously the permanent secretary at the Ministry of Housing. Um, and to be honest, most of the members have, have held high status positions in the civil service, government, or police. But well, I suppose also not-for-profit organisations. Bob Downs is the current chairman of the Scottish Environment Protection Agency, so I guess there is more representation for charities and environmental interests. Although I'm not I'm still not really like entirely convinced that the board is free from those within the political class. Uh, Because if you also look, a lot of them are lords or dames. So, you know, they're high up in this sort of like establishment, I guess. Um, And I suppose it's this connection with the government that's inspired the BBC's critics. Mills acknowledges that the BBC is often perceived as biased by the general public and it's traditionally been viewed as a more conservative and right leaning organisation. But Mills believes there is um, a myth in British politics that the BBC is left wing. So essentially like the public see the BBC as being right-leaning but like the sort of press and journalists and sort media see the BBC as left-wing. The first general director of the BBC was Sir John Reith and in 1937 he opined that the BBC news was paying too much attention to the struggles of the workers and leaders of unofficial strike actions and I was going to say this when you mentioned before that when you watched that advert you felt quite um the only bit that really sort of <sighs> meant the most to you I suppose when you watched it was was the fact that they put in the bit about the strikes and it looks as though throughout any union um strikes that have gone on in the past uh, when the BBC have covered it they've actually been really like they don't want to because it's it's a left thing so I'm like it's it's if that is the case, they're then capitalising on it and in this case, you know, to try and stir like emotional connections with so people like continue to watch the BBC, even though people high up in the BBC are like, mm, don't really want to give attention to trade unions. But anyway, in 1941, Reed's successor, Frederick Olgavey, wrote a memo to BBC Controllers in which he spoke about the need to correct this balance of left-leaning speakers and programmes. Uh, so concerned about this was the Conservative Party that in 1947 conservative MP John Profumo as the party's first head of broadcasting set up a unit at conservative Central office to monitor radio signs radio for signs of political bias although I kind of wonder whether they would call out any bias coverage support in the Conservative Party. Um, During the 1960s, the BBC was under the leadership of a more liberal director, Hugh Green, and as a result broadcast a whole host of more socially conscious dramas and satirical and anti-establishment comedy programmes. Green himself did comment that the BBC was being transformed by a new younger generation. Mills believes that during periods of relative affluence, the BBC has tended to enjoy greater autonomy from government. However, during periods of austerity, a government's financial leverage tends to become much greater. Mills goes on to write that anxiety amongst elites about the threat of subversion increased markedly with the growth of radical and egalitarian social movements in the 1960s and 70s and the surge in working-class militancy, so like the strikes and... Uh, yeah, activists and stuff. Right-wing activists at this time, 60s, 70s, emerged to oppose the more egalitarian and democratic culture of the post-war settlement in Britain, something they feel was being platformed by coverage on the BBC. Um, I find it quite confusing though when thinking about bias claims against the BBC because it seems always to switch between right-leaning bias and left-wing bias. Uh, because at the same time as accusations or anxieties about left-wing bias on the BBC, the 1971 Director General Charles Curran observed that the BBC, in quotes, is a creation of the establishment and it depends on the assent of the establishment for its continuance in being. Um Tracing the history of the BBC, Simon Potter wrote in his book from this year, uh, this is the BBC Entertaining Nation Speaking for Britain, that the BBC did suffer from financial constraints in the 1970s, but a number of large media events re-established the national role of the BBC in the 1980s. These included the broadcast of Prince Charles and Princess Diana's wedding and Live Aid. The 80s would see Britain under a long conservative government headed by Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, who implemented a number of financial restraints on the corporation. Um, Thatcher and many of her backbenchers felt the BBC claimed to work for the common good, but was really only interested in its levy from the licence fee and protecting itself from competition, kind of like what you said. Um, Thatcher really did not like the BBC. Um, Her minister, Norman Tebbett, made his feelings clear when he said the BBC was, in quotes, insufferable, smug, sanctimonious, naive, guilt-ridden, wet, pink orthodoxy of the sunset home of third-rate minds of that third-rate decade, the 60s, end quote. Uh, A report in The Telegraph from 2014 published a series of memos indicating that Margaret Thatcher's unstated objective was to review finances to, in quotes, knock the BBC down to size. Reportedly, Thatcher postulated radical moves into, including, sorry, introducing TVs, which only showed commercial stations run on advertising, unlike the BBC. Thatcher's government argued also that the license fee was a state handout, which harmed free expression. They also argued that greater choice between the channels would be far more democratic and that impartiality was a deception and that a better principle would be responsible national interest rather than always impartiality partially uh, disputes with the government over the bbc's political journalism led the director general alistair milne to be sacked in 1987 and he was succeeded by michael checkland and john Bert, who introduced greater commercialization of the bbc brand broad so that's kind of where it sort of I don't know, kind of like expanded, but you know how like BBC is kind of like all over the world now. Uh, By the 1990s, the BBC began to engage with digital media and try to move away from its loyalty, if you like, to the monarchy, most notably by commissioning the controversial Princess Diana and Martin Bashir interview. The BBC entered the 21st century with less hostility and its programmes were competing well with the likes of ITV. However, controversy would arise once again following criticism of the BBC's news coverage of the Iraq war and repeated scandals about the governance of the BBC would ensue. Austerity measures that were introduced after the 2008 financial crisis would also hit the BBC's purse hard. And this, again, wasn't helped with the emergence of satellite, cable and streaming services, which have only served to pull away audiences. Um, I'm going to go into a bit more detail uh, on particular examples of controversies and accusations against the BBC and some I've already touched upon, but before then, I just want to very quickly um, talk about impartiality as this forms the foundation of much of the criticisms of the BBC, so you kind of need to understand what that means in terms of the BBC. Uh, Richard Sandbrook, the former BBC director of news, once told a newspaper in quotes, people sometimes ask me what I'm going to do after the BBC, and the answer is that I'm going to have opinions again. They've been repressed for so long, end quotes. And while working as the BBC's political editor, Andrew Marr also declared in quotes, when I joined the BBC, my organs of opinion were formally removed, end quotes. Section four on impartiality of the BBC's editorial guidelines states, in quotes, the BBC is committed to achieving due impartiality in all its output. This commitment is fundamental to our reputation, our values and the trust of audiences. The term due means that the impartiality must be adequate and appropriate to the output, taking account of the subject and nature of the content, the likely audience expectation and any signposting that may influence this expectation. Um, yeah, sorry, end of quotes. Uh, there are plenty of examples where people have called into question these standards, and I'll go into it in a moment. But first, just want to ask if you've got any thoughts, Claire? No? No, you can continue. Oh, I just feel like I've been talking for ages. No, go for it. Okay, right. Um, so I'm just going to give a very, very, very brief interview of some of them overview, sorry, of some of the many criticisms of the BBC. Um, But there is a lot more to many of them um, than I'm going to cover here. Uh, Okay, so a big one is, of course, the political leanings of the BBC and support to government parties. I suppose I've kind of already mentioned this one, but some examples of this include a special leaders episode of Question Time in the lead up to the 2019 general election, in which audience laughter to an answer given by Boris Johnson was edited out. During the election campaign, that's the same one, of 2019, BBC too was accused of hounding candidates Jeremy Corbyn for Labour and Joe Swinson for the Liberal Democrats to intense interviews with Andrew Neil. But they did not do the same for Boris Johnson and didn't pursue him to participate. There are also close ties between BBC executives and members of the ruling Conservative Party. Pierre Osborne gives the example that Robbie Gibb, head of BBC Westminster from 2008 to 2017, and in charge of the BBC's political programming at that time, has a brother, Nick Gibb, who is a Conservative MP and was Minister for Schools. And Robbie Gibb resigned from the BBC to then become Theresa May, who was the then Prime Minister's Director of Communications. Um, The current director of director general, sorry, of the BBC is Tim Davie. And he's actually a former conservative councillor. Um, a different example given by Edwards is that the BBC chairman, is that, sorry, BBC chairman Gavin Davies and director general Greg Dwight from, they, they, they were in those roles, sorry, in the early 2000s. Uh, they were both not just supporters of, but also donors to the Labour Party. Uh, Davis's wife was also ran Labour's Gordon Brown's office, and his children were page boy and bridesmaid at the Brown wedding. Uh, lastly, Steve Barnett wrote in The Observer that this revolving door between the BBC, big business, and the government has been open for a long time, with brother of one of Margaret Thatcher's staunchest cabinet allies, Stuart Young, becoming chairman of the board of governors at the BBC in 1983 until the trust was disbanded. Uh, I alluded to this earlier, but the Iraq invasion is a major source of bias allegations against the BBC. Um, the The Hutton inquiry found that even prior to events in 2003 when Iraq was invaded, the BBC, in quotes, sexed up the case for war. Edwards cites an example of bias in the coverage of the Iraq war by Andrew Marr. In April 2003, Marr reported on television about Prime Minister Tony Blair's speech about the fall of Baghdad to American military and he said in quotes he this this is what Marr said sorry so he mean and Tony Blair, said they would be able to take Baghdad without a bloodbath and that in the end the Iraqis would be celebrating and on both of these points he has been proved conclusively right and it would be entirely ungracious even for his critics not to acknowledge that tonight he stands as a larger man and a stronger prime minister as a result. End of quote. Edwards argues that here um, Sorry. Yeah, Edwards argues that um, just this single comment makes a mockery of the BBC's claims to impartiality and freedom from personal bias, and he says what could be more what could more obviously reflect Mar's personal opinion, his personal sympathy for both Blair and the invasion of Iraq. Uh, a Cardiff University report found that. Uh, Oh, I haven't given the year. Oh, it was 2003. Yeah, a Cardiff University 2003 report found that the BBC displayed the most pro-war agenda of any broadcaster on the Iraq invasion at that time. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm just going on. Um, The... 2015 to 2016 annual report of the BBC refers to the so-called London bubble but defends that the BBC is not actively biased towards London but rather so many decisions and programmes are made in London that a greater percentage of London centred coverage is somewhat inevitable. The flagship newscasts are based in London and tend to report nationwide stories related to government and policy that often pertain actually only to England or sometimes England and Wales but not always Northern Ireland or Scotland. It's true that in its early days as well, yeah, it's true that in its early days, the BBC was definitely very London-centric and presenters spoke using um, received pronunciation or RP. And this is the traditional accent um, that was regarded as standard for British English. It's that really like, you know, that that really English accent that you get when you listen to like maybe like wartime sort of um, uh, broadcasts. Um, it was selected, RP, sorry, it was selected by the BBC Advisory Committee on Spoken English as Broadcasting Standard in 1922. Many members um, did not want to promote regional accents because they feared that it would alienate some listeners. Although I'm like, well, surely then, but but it would alienate people outside of London. But then I suppose they think everybody speaks like that. So yeah. R.P. was associated with the speech of the aristocracy and public education, therefore it represented only a very small small minority in the elite and establishment classes. In recent years, though, this is an outdated accent and, and... and in media, a variety of accents can be heard now, so this hopefully means that less younger people feel the need to change the way they speak if they want to pursue careers in broadcasting, for example. Uh, The BBC has also increased its regional content with channels such as BBC Alba or Scotland and BBC Wales, but I can't help but still feel or notice that Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland are given one channel for a whole country, but England is divided by areas. So you've got things like BBC London, BBC South West, BBC Yorkshire. In total, there are 15 variations just for England alone. It's, it's so annoying. Uh, the BBC has also been criticised for its bias or rather hypocrisy when it comes to climate change. More recently, some would argue that the BBC has presented a doom and gloom perspective on climate change, bordering on scaremongering. But equally, on the flip side, other voices would argue the BBC coverage is lacking and the climate change. is uh, uh, sorry, and climate change is often missing or low down on the news agenda. Also, the BBC emits a large carbon footprint. Newsnight presenter Jeremy Parkson one, Paxman sorry, once argued that his correspondents travel the globe to tell the audience of the dangers of climate change while leaving a vapour trail, which will make the problem even worse. Paxman further argues that the BBC's coverage of the issues abandoned the pretense of impartiality long ago. I'm almost done. Um, other issues related to cultures, uh, yeah, sorry, um, more recent criticisms of the BBC are relate to cultural sorry, issues, I guess, um, around racism, diversity and transphobia. In 2007, English screenwriter and producer Jimmy McGovern Govern, sorry, called the BBC, in quotes, one of the most racist institutions in England. When Somali born, oh, I'm going to not say his name correct, Raja Omar resigned from the BBC as war correspondent. He called the BBC a white man's club. The Guardian reported that the BBC pledged to increase diversity of senior managers and people on air by about double in 2020. I'm not, I couldn't find the statistics on exactly how many people they've got, um, you know, from like diverse backgrounds, but the BBC 2021 to 2023 diversity and inclusion plan says that it aims to create more diverse leadership uh, a more diverse leadership team boost career opportunities for people from all backgrounds overhaul recruitment processes and increase accessibility for disabled staff it also is quoted as saying the new plan will enable the BBC to meet the 50 2012 workforce targets announced in September 2020 in the next three to five years, and then they say that 50% is women, at least 20% should be black, Asian or minority ethnic, and at least 12% should be disabled employees. Tim Davie, the BBC's director general, also said off the report that we must from top to bottom represent the audiences we serve. We have made some big improvements, but we want and need to go further. Having the right mix of people, ideas, and experiences at the BBC will mean we continue to provide world-class cra- world content for everybody. Um, BBC also has a lot of other, um, what you call it, um, sort of offshoots, if you like, um, like the BBC Asian Network, but that's also been criticised by... Um, Indarjit Singh, I'm so sorry, I'm saying the name wrong. he, He was, or is, I think he's the chief, yeah he is, the chief of Britain's network of Sikh organizations. And he argues, in quotes, stations like BBC Asian Network do little to encourage integration and social cohesion because they allow communities to basically ghettoize themselves. So kind of just stay within that sort of small community. Um, just, th- just two more points on this. Um, in October 2020, the BBC issued updated impartiality rules to its uh, new staff, which were criticised for treating LGBT plus rights issues as political matters on which BBC journalists and staff should not publicly take issues when uh, acting in a personal capacity. So yeah, um, there's a lot about in the editorial guidelines on whether staff should um, put stuff on social media on that. Uh, Staff were also told that attending Pride events and supporting transgender rights could break impartiality requirements. Gay Times claimed that this cast LGBT plus identities as intrinsically political and called the guidelines transphobia and sheep's clothing. Um, So it looks like the BBC are trying to do good, but they argue that they're not because they're not letting those issues be talked about. I think that's what they're getting at. Sorry. Uh, also, there was an article published by BBC News in 2021, which received a lot of criticism. I remember when this came out um, and it was accused of being transphobic. It was about um, I think it was about lesbians and sort of the erosion of the lesbian identity or something like that. Um, And the source that they used, the sole source that they used, was someone who has previously been accused of multiple sexual assaults and wrote an article days before the BBC publication was released about uh, basically saying that they wanted to harm trans people, pretty much, trans women. Uh, The BBC's coverage of issues related to gay and lesbian individuals has also been called out for being underreported. I didn't go into it, but I have a feeling that there might be criticisms about their reporting at the time with like AIDS and things like that. Very lastly, um, a criticism of the BBC has been its self-regulation and handling of sexual abuse cases such as the Jimmy Savile scandal. I've already touched on it and I'm only going to give a very brief overview, but it's been reported that the BBC were aware of complaints and accusations about Savile's inappropriate behaviour with young girls and staff members since his early days working with the corporation on top of the POPs and other such shows. Even when the scandal emerged after Savile's death, a planned panorama exposé was scrapped by the executives at the BBC in favour of a Christmas schedule, which pretty much eulogised Savile. The scandal has done, I feel anyway, almost irreputable damage to the BBC, and I don't really know if it will ever fully recover from the culture that kept quiet on decades of abuse behind its doors. So I think that that's done a lot of damage to the BBC. And I have just statistics to go through, but I, that, and then that's me, but I just wanted to ask if you've got anything you want to add there, Claire. That was a lot of information. <laughs> I know it's a lot, isn't it? It's it's just hard to go back to the beginning. Um, I think with the BBC, I think I personally get confused because I feel like a lot of the time the issue with the BBC is an issue with BBC News. You know, I don't think we really talk about BBC programming. What the BBC fund what they put money into, um, like drama wise and stuff, onto that's a good point, point the TV really and stuff. Into that. No, but I think that's the issue with the BBC. I think, when generally speaking, when we you know it really affects like British public and stuff, so when we have this debate, should we defund the BBC, should we not, or are the BBC why do we hate the BBC, or whatever you know, it's what we're doing right now. I, all comes back to bbc news and i think always comes back to whether you know they're representative like you've been saying and um whether they're uh bias um, and you know, I think like a lot I've always grown up with people saying, Oh, the BBC represent the wealthy. And I think, you know, that's where they came from. You know, a lot of the people like you say that work or worked in the BBC and I believe continue to work in the BBC are all well educated. And, you know, like even when you look at like news presenters that they have at the moment on like BBC Breakfast and stuff, I forgot her name. You know her name. She's on BBC Breakfast. I and I think, yes. Now they might be like, oh, that's diverse. She's diverse. But yes, yes, in ethnicity wise, of course. Education wise, she still comes the same place. You know, she's still yeah. yeah, she's still being brought up in these institutions and she's still elite, and she still kind of like ties into the establishment or that conservative kind of outlook. So on the face of it, yes, they're maybe trying to be a bit more diverse, but they still have this maybe same belief um and I also think that um the BBC I think okay so I think with like I don't ever recall looking into for example ITV right an ITV bias I mean when has anybody ever asked that question who cares who cares about the ITV's impartiality, or if that's how you say the word? (laughs) Nobody cares. Maybe people do, but I've never heard of it. I've never heard that as an argument, you know? Maybe Channel 4, but Channel 4 was always like, oh, we're the complete opposite to, in its heyday. You know, we're the complete opposite to BBC. We say what really matters. We're quite controversial. We're quite liberal, perhaps. Well, to me, that's what Channel 4 represented. And it was like the... Not nemesis, but like the direct opposite of the BBC. You know, you go to BBC and you get this conservative outlook, and you go to Channel Four and you get this really liberal outlook. And um, I mean, I don't know whether like that's a good thing or not, and I don't know how wholly representative it is of both of them either. But but sorry, if you're just dispi- about, I'll let you say your point. Then no, no, go for it. Well, I was just going to say that. Um, I guess. I would need to look up as far as my understanding is Um, Channel 4 and ITV and the like uh, they are they haven't put it into their like guidelines that they have to be impartial what does BBC have BBC have said that they're impartial so right they put it on themselves kind of thing and then also you've got the added thing of the BBC being a public broadcaster so as a public broadcaster and in their royal charter they've kind of said that they have to be impartial whereas commercial stations like itv or um, are allowed to have their own viewpoints yeah and if like if like say this is my understanding anyway that is say for example um i don't know itv sort of put out a program or a news bulletin or whatever and sort of made an opinion known and one of the advertisers then were like i don't agree with that i don't want to be associated it would be up to the advertiser to walk away and it would be up to itv to be like okay we're running we're going to take that risk that 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 um advertiser goes away and we might lose their sponsorship but they're not under any obligation to be impartial does that make okay. sense okay no that does make sense because I was that's what i was going to say and i know that's what you've been um hinting to um throughout this whole episode. But like, I think the issue with the BBC is the issue maybe that they are trying to be impartial. Um, And if they could just see where they're coming from and just be like, that's that's what we represent, then that's fine. And it's kind of like what we were kind of discussing in our last episode with the monarchy. Well, I think the kind of conclusion that we both sort of came to, if I'm right, is that, you know, with the monarchy, it's almost as if like we're being forced to pay for them, even if we don't agree with them. If you want to, if you like the monarchy, give them some money. Great. But because we're taxed, regardless of that, we give our money to monarchy whether we want to or not, right? And I think it's along the similar lines. Although, you know, you're I would say you're well within your right not to pay the license and fee, but I think that's the the area of contention around the BBC is this licensing fee. And it's also the fact that they're supposed to speak for the people. You know, when you go back to that advert and they're like, you know, this is our BBC. It's like, you know, trying to say we're all inclusive. This is everybody's. It's like, well, don't portray yourself as being impartial when you aren't impartial because you're saying that you're everybody's. Because you're not. You're one viewpoint. And you lean more towards that. Um, so then maybe that's why people don't want to pay for it because they're like, if I want that news, I'll go searching for that news. Or if people want to fund it, who are like-minded people, you know, like advertisers that follow that and are happy to fund it, then they can fund it. We don't need to if we don't agree with it. um. But then, you know, like I don't really know if the BBC is particularly like right wing conservative i just hear that it is and i'm like when yeah. some because sometimes like and this is just my personal opinion sometimes when i do watch the bbc bbc news i do think you know like they present the news the way that you know it could be and, and like impartially and you look at like other countries and I'm talking like way more extremes than the UK where maybe they are a bit more like controlled with what they're allowed to watch and what's told to them news wise and it's way way more filtered than perhaps what the BBC is and yeah I think they will prioritize what they report and they will have biases to when they report on for example like uk government issues and stuff they will have biases towards like the conservative government um but i don't know i just always thought they were a bit more neutral than like you know i don't know if the bbc would go so far as stopping a certain story from being told simply because they're like we don't want you to see that because we don't agree with it but I think there's little things in the way that see present and who they have, like on their news shows or or whatever, as their presenters and stuff, who they have in like audiences. Or for example, like even like question time. That, that audience, that audience will be curated to be quite conservative or um, like-minded to where they want you to um, align, like politically. Um, and I think like a lot of the problems around the BBC, it's just like, like you were mentioning, is like linked to English nationalism. I think you can't really talk about the BBC without talking about like English nationalism because that's really what it is. It's an, it's, and that's, again, I keep coming back to the advert, but it's a good like starting point because it is what they're trying to sell the BBC as. And I think like, that's all that was, is nationalism. That's what it's selling. And it's selling like, you know, like unionism as well. If you're talking about the United Kingdom. um. And um, I also think just with a big thing with the BBC as well, um, that's a big controversy for them. And again, it falls into like the whole like establishment thing is wages. is like how much they pay their presenters, their news presenters, their BBC breakfast shows presenters. And you'll probably go into it. But I think that's a big thing as well. And that's the whole like, um, it's a whole juxtaposition to be in, like we represent the people but look we're paying you like an extortionate salary that doesn't reflect anything with, with like living wage and whatever and the people who are watching this like how do they represent us they don't that's it I think that's what I wanted to say about that so I'm still torn with like where I am with it but maybe your facts or your statistics will help me Yeah, I'm kind of with you on what you said about uh, the BBC, and I just wanted to give an example of where some people say that actually what is a problem for the BBC isn't that they sometimes, although people say it is, that they're not impartial, and sometimes people say that their impartiality clause is actually a hindrance to them. Um, For example, really, really famous controversial episode of Question Time, was in. Oh, I'm going to remember the day. I think it was 2015, but I'm probably wrong. Anyway, uh, it was around the time of Corbyn, I think. So before 2017, don't know. Anyway, uh, when the BNP was going about uh, the British National Party, and they invited, uh, they invited. Um, why am I forgetting all my names? I've got this written down somewhere. Um. Anyway, they invited the leader of uh, BNP on, and um, there was loads of backlash about it. They were like, "Why did you invite him on? Because all he's going to do is say really racist things. He's got really, really right wing views." Um, and they were, like, and the BBC had said, "Well, because of our impartiality, we have to have a, a difference of sides." Uh, a lot of people were like, yeah, well, there's impartiality and then there's like common sense, you know, like you don't invite someone on who's got like really, really harmful um, views that are really offensive um, or hurt people. Um, and it just sort of downright like derogatory, you know, um, or discriminatory. Um, so, yeah, that's just it was, it was a huge thing. Um, and there's been loads written on it and that. Um, and that really and, and since then I don't think question time as an actual program because I was going to go into a whole big thing about question I've got loads of notes but I'm not going to but it's a whole big thing about like people do not like question time you think it's really really biased and you hinted on it the way that they select the audience um, the airtime that they give to certain speakers um, if they interrupt them and stuff like that um, another point I want you to make following on from what you said was that I'm kind of the same as you. I'm, I'm torn with where the BBC lies in terms of it's leaning right or left. I actually think that the BBC just aligns with the ruling government more so than anything else. Because like I said before, you've got those two director generals who are like in the pocket of um, Brown. You've got Andrew Marr, who was maybe on the side of Tony Blair, their Labour. But then equally, you've got... Um, Accusations of the government of the BBC being um tied to conservative leaders like Margaret Thatcher. Um, Margaret Thatcher didn't like them, Margaret Thatcher was conservative, but then you've got um accusations of like the BBC being against Jeremy Corbyn, who was Labour, and there was a lot of controversy around Laura Koonsberg, who was the political editor until recently. Um, her coverage and her language when she talks about Jeremy Corbyn and how they seem to side with Boris, but now that we've gone into like a state of crisis ever since COVID. Um, the coverage of Boris, people have said, is really, really critical to a point that's bordered in uh, over impartiality. Um, and that goes back to, which I think was a really, really good quote by, um, I think it was Edwards. Uh, let's see if I can find it quickly, probably not. Oh, so, yes. Uh, sorry it was Mills where he said just going to read it again that during periods of relative affluence the BBC has tended to enjoy greater autonomy from the government however during periods of austerity a government's financial leverage tends to become much greater and some people believe that the BBC maybe has gone a bit more like um, rogue if you like if like not trying to like like be pally with like the incoming with with the ruling government which is conservative because the conservatives are continuously talking about getting rid of the license fee so maybe the bbc are just like oh well no need to it up to them um and then i know you want to jump in but i just want to say okay you go go just a question on the back of that i was just gonna ask do you think the bbc is populist probably yeah I, i always need to remind myself of the definition of that but yes probably more so than anything else, because that that is kind of where you just align with the popular pa- party, isn't it? Well, it's more just—it's not really a party, but like it's popular opinion. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd say that's more so that then. Yeah, yeah. So it's I just like trying to be all things to everybody, whatever is popular at that moment. You, yeah. You I align. Agree with that. You align with that to keep in favor. And, and, I in agree with in that. in the most general, brief term of what populism is. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I would probably say that it's more of that than anything else and one final point i just wanted to make from what you said is that i also wonder at the end of the day the bbc is a organization it's a company like we mentioned before it's probably looking for um, money it's worried about losing the license fee and it's worried about losing um audiences to competition of streaming services and other channels so i wonder if the bbc will try and just like saying it's news or that because a lot of people with bbc breakfast for example is meant to be a news channel a news program but a lot of people say that more and more it just goes on about like sort of culture issues or it goes on about things that are nothing to do with actual like news um and i wonder if it's a way of pulling in audiences because controversy equals audiences a lot of the time so i wonder if there's a lot of that going on as well yes and also if that's if you've noticed that recently i'm talking like the last couple of years Mm-hmm. If we are in so-called culture wars, then again, it's a popular strategy they playing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So the last thing I just want you to quickly go over is really just some figures and statistics about the BBC um, and um, just hint a little bit on public opinion. So the most recent Ofcom annual report on the BBC is from 2021, and that showed that 68% of adults in the UK have a positive impression of the BBC. Sixty-four percent of the audience are more likely to be in London, and forty-nine percent are less likely to be in Scotland, which I'm not surprised about. Radio makes up the largest amount of total BBC minutes consumed on average day, so more than TV. Seven, so, for seventy-four percent of all adults in 2020, radio was like the most popular sort of way that they consume BBC, and then it was thirty-two percent of 16 to 34 year olds uh, preferred like radio to any other. BBC content, I suppose. Uh, These figures are all quite randomly thrown in, by the way. But another interesting survey is the National Union of Journalists survey for 2020 and 2021. It showed that the gender pay gap is narrowing in the BBC and the salaries for some of its top stars has reduced. Uh, Staff say that they also don't believe that recruitment is fair and transparent or that their careers are likely to progress. There was a reduction of the workforce in the BBC by 6% and staff report being overworked and suffering burnout, particularly during the COVID-19 pandemic. When it comes to the BBC presenters and main stars, I just have to laugh. They're like, "Oh, most have had a pay cut, but like to be honest, they still earn like a huge amount of money." Uh, the top five of the BBC's so the BBC publishes their salaries every year. The twenty, the most recent one is the twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one. Top five people are Gary Lineker. That's how they've all had a pay cut. Um, violence for them there, um, but they still so Gary Lineker's at the top. He earns. Um, oh my god, I have to actually read these numbers. Uh, one million three hundred and sixty to one million three hundred sixty-four thousand. Zoe Ball is second. She earns one million one hundred and thirty to one million one hundred thirty-four. Steve Wright 000, 469. No, four hundred seventy thousand. Sorry, it's quite a drop though. Like between, even though it's a lot of money, like Zoe Ball to Steve Wright, and she's second and third. Quite weird how that works out. Um. Hugh Edwards uh he is number 4 425,000 to 429 to sorry 430,000 and then there's Fiona Bruce who's number 5 and she earns between 405,000 to 410,000. Uh YouGov ratings measures BBC's popularity and fame every quarter. The latest data is based on 100 three hundred and thirty-one nationally representative interviews of the Great British population, which was collected in quarter one of 2020. So I think that's from January to March. Uh, the key statistics that I picked out from, like key things that I picked out from this, was number one, um, BBC was liked by 62% of respondents, disliked by 19%, and 18% were neutral. 100% of people had heard of the BBC. Uh, in terms of like, the age brackets, 64% of millennials like BBC, 59% of Gen X like it, 60% of baby boomers like it. So, 60, so millennials make up the biggest percentage, although there's not much in them. Uh, in terms of gender, 55% of men like it, whereas 72% of women like it. Politics, 56% of conservatives like it, 74% of labor like it, and 71% of liberal Democrats like it. And in terms of Brexit, 51% of those who voted leave like it and 76% of those that voted remain like it. Should say that, but the Brexit coverage on the BBC is a huge thing for um, bias and contention and criticism, but I haven't gone into it, sorry. It's basically the same arguments with the left and right uh, sort of meanings. Uh, The last point I just wanted to make was about maybe like the future of BBC and it trying to get into like digital media and younger generations. And I'm just going to basically read um, a bit from Sarah Manavis's article in The Guardian in 2022, where she wrote about why the BBC is so bad at engaging younger audiences. So this is all in quotes. What social media, the BBC uses is far from millennial friendly, a tepid array of memes on Instagram, mostly news newsy Twitter accounts and Facebook pages that share BuzzFeed style videos of the kind that were already tired cliches in 2015. There has been no real effort to develop an original presence either on YouTube, a digital space that has been social media staple for a decade. The BBC has cautiously dipped its toe into projects explicitly created to engage with younger audiences. The next episode, a news podcast aimed at under 25s, was a notable example. An ad for the podcast acknowledged that the BBC has a problem and that it wanted younger audiences to love us, not tolerate us. Since launching, the next episode has fallen flat. It's hard to find a single tweet or Instagram post from a young person in the last six months saying anything about the podcast, and almost every single post that does praise the show from that period is from someone who works at the BBC. There are also formats the BBC hasn't even tried to touch, most notably TikTok, the short-form video sharing app that is usually popular among under-18s end quotes Um, you could also say that like they're trying to reach uh, the younger audiences again by bringing BBC three back onto the TV Um, and yeah I think they're sort of I think the BBC I think BBC will last uh, to be honest I don't think that it will get abolished um, because again it's that idea of you growing up with it and that sort of familiarity of it um, and if it is successful in making people believe and you know that there's something for everyone um, through its things like BBC 3 you know because that's trying to bring in the younger audience but but maintain the older audience through like things like BBC 2 and BBC 1. Um, I, I, I personally don't see that BBC is going anywhere anytime soon. I think it will still maintain to have a lot of criticism and I think people sort of love to hate BBC but still watch it anyway um, which is kind of the case with me, (laughs) I'll moan about it, sit and watch it in the morning. Um, So yeah, that's kind of like where I'm at with it. So it was just really to sort of go through the BBC, because I've always sort of wondered, you know, is it bias and stuff, and I've never really taken the time to read about it. So it's just to explore some of the issues. So my main takeaway is that I think that there is bias within the BBC. I do think that at the top, it's very establishment, and it's always kind of in the pockets of the monarchy and the government. Um, but equally I think that it's trying to project a more liberal sort of viewpoint to its audience to try and keep the younger um, generation who you could say are more geared towards culture issues Um, but yeah I think it's here for a while yet. I do agree with you And I think that's all really super helpful to put into context where the BBC is and where it might go. Um, and I'm trying to, through the whole sort of thing, just think of like what my positives and negatives for the BBC are. And I think there obviously are loads of negatives to the BBC. As with most things, um, I think, like you said, you make a good point about the whole recruitment thing. There's maybe a lack of diverse recruitment, and you see it. I think it's difficult to get into the BBC, and I think the BBC presents itself as something for everyone when it's not. You know, even to work in it and what they what they um, what their programs are as well. I don't think it really is as um, accessible, for lack of a better word. Um, than it thinks it is um i think the pay is shocking and i don't i don't think it reflects what a public service should i think the the wages reflect a private company and that's what the bbc are trying to move away from so i would hate to think what well, if bbc went private what they would make um, and i think that's also a bone of contention like i've said before because bbc is supposed to be publicly funded you know why we funding that um, and the biggest point with the BBC is just the whole, the model that they have at the moment with a licensing fee. The licensing fee is, is outdated and I think if the BBC is here to stay, the licensing fee isn't. And the BBC are going to have to think of some way to get around that licensing fee and still exist as they are. I don't know if they'll still exist as a public service, but they might exist as a private service, which would drastically change yeah. what the BBC is. Just... Quick thing, I didn't look into it, so I have no idea. But I also wonder if the BBC are trying to get around that because maybe they're losing money because less people are um paying the license fee. You know, they're signing up. To it. Yeah, uh, but if you don't, if like for example, if you like you don't pay it right just now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that like you live at home just now, so like um someone else does. But I just mean that like. You could not pay it, but you could still watch some BBC content if it's on Netflix or if it's on like um, yes, Amazon yes, Prime. Yes. And the BBC are probably getting something from that. Netflix, for example, are probably paying BBC something to get their programs on there. So I wonder if that's the route that BBC are going down. Yeah, that could be the way because in in a way that is semi sort of private privatized, I suppose. Um which would be interesting to see. I don't know how much of a cut they'd make from stuff like that. But equally, it just means that if more and more people are used to seeing BBC on other streaming platforms, then they're less likely to invest in the BBC itself. Um, and I think there's an issue with obviously bias in the BBC, neutrality in the BBC. And, you know, you can even see it on, like with within that, I'm talking BBC news. Um, but, Equally, I think although the impartial nature of the BBC is obviously a massive bone of contention, and it's where a lot of the controversies and a lot of the problems and criticisms come from the BBC, I feel like, like I've said before, the BBC could be worse. And I think the BBC News, at least, could be a lot worse. And I think, you know, if you compare it to places like America, for example, a lot of their news stations are really, really partisan. And the BBC, at least, is not that. I mean, you I don't think anybody, whether you hate, love to hate the BBC or what, don't think you could say the BBC is partisan because it's not. It's got some level of neutrality to it. And that's because it is trying to be impartial. And at the end of the day, I think we've got so used to people being quite partisan in their opinions that when we're like, oh, why are you trying to be both things to all people? Like, public, like, um, politically, anyway, with some sort of, like, centralities is that the word, um, attitude or agenda, um, we're kind of like, well, where do you lie? You left or you right? You conservative or you labour or liberal? Like, and the BBC, you know, it's obviously going to be, and it's like, like you say, it has its issues. Obviously, comes from the establishment. It's obviously got that kind of agenda to it. But at the end of the day, I think people go to the BBC when they want news and they want, un- like honestly when they want unbiased news i do think people go to the bbc but obviously some people will argue that they don't um but you know i i don't know if i'd want i think it would be a sad day to see the bbc privatized because you know you think of like media moguls like you know rupert murdoch and stuff do we really want the bbc owned like that i mean it's happened to channel four I don't I think it'd be really sad to see the BBC go the same way. But like I say, the issue, the main issue with the BBC is that licensing fee. And something has to be done about that. And I don't know what, what would be, because it would be privatized to fund the BBC if they weren't getting it publicly funded. Um, but I do think the BBC has a really good na- international appeal. You know, it has news services all over the world. If, for example, I know I keep saying it, but if you're in America, if you know what I mean, and you want to know what's happening in Europe or Britain you watch BBC World News or whatever their channel does, you know, people might watch that and that's that's where you get your news from. Um, And its programmes are international. Um, I think it has a good appeal worldwide. Had some respect worldwide as well. It's like respectable programming. Um, And it's a good platform for people to showcase certain talents but then again i don't know how easy it is for the BBC to get into the bbc um and i think it has a good range of programming um but i do think there is an issue with too much of the bbc going online and again that's a byproduct of the not having enough money and it being funded less is that it's moving online um but you know we don't all access um the internet and we don't all have that 24 7 so take you know you watch it now for example right now wimbledon's on and if you're into a match and then they go this will be continued on bbc iPlayer. it's like well i don't have bbc iPlayer. like what if i don't have the internet like and i know that sounds like why wouldn't you but people don't so that's an issue and especially when they're trying to reach a younger audience obviously majority of people do but you cannot assume that people do. It's like the whole thing where they move BBC Three online because they didn't think they had the audience or money to put, to keep it as a main channel. They saw that loads of people were watching online. I know that goes against my point, but then they brought it back to TV. But it just means like it either works or it doesn't. And I think they should be cautious about putting too much on because, like you know, they're going to move CBBC. Um, they're taking that off. I don't know when it could be like next year or something. They're taking that off and they're moving that online and it's like there's a lot of kids in this country who are in poverty and that includes in having not having access to the internet not having devices to watch things on and it's quite sad that they've decided to move that online and cut off a lot of people from their resources um, because I can imagine CBC, I love CBeebs CB, it's great like and I'm sure a lot of kids do and I'm sure like they learn a lot from it Um so, yeah, I. if someone asked me, do you want to defund the BBC? I would probably say, no. Am I happy about paying a licence in though. Know, absolutely not. Can we win? No. <laughs> I get you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just um, a thought sort of on that, really. I don't have anything else to add no i'd just be interested to see i think like bbc like you say people love to hate the bbc and i think within britain it's always going to be an issue um yeah and people are never going to be happy about it but no because i think whenever someone doesn't like whenever anyone doesn't like like a program or that's in the bbc you're like oh i'm not paying for this exactly And you know, there could be like another thing on our channel or whatever but um, yeah, it's a tricky exactly. thing to manage. But I think anything that we're forced to pay for, we feel yeah. like we deserve to have a right over it. Yeah. And I think the minute people watch something and it does not align with their yeah. their political view or their you know cultural views or whatever, they're like, oh no, not for me. Turn on it off. Don't want yeah. it. But that's just not how yeah. it works, unfortunately. Well, I do think that there could, like you sort of said, there could be better representation and. In- in certain areas on BBC. But um Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's a tricky one. Brief overview of the of the corporation really. Um and next time we will go to you Claire. Um I imagine you don't know what you're doing yet. Oh well, do you? You do, don't you? That's fine. No, unfortunately not. Um fine, I'm torn uh, between two two ideas. We'll so see. uh we'll see which one comes to fruition cool okay well um whoever is listening thank you (laughs) yeah as always thanks very much see you next time see you next week this podcast was written and recorded by megan and claire and hosted on anchor music was taken from pixabay